All right, everybody. Welcome to uh, Positively Charged Wrestling after a brief hiatus. Uh, this is uh, Braden and my good buddy, Josh. Hey, how you guys doing? Uh, we've got a little bit to cover this week. Obviously, as we discussed on the previous episode, we're going to kind of give our thoughts on Starcade 97 and WrestleMania 13. That's in just a bit, but to kind of catch up on what we've been missing the past two to three weeks, we do have a pay-per-view tonight. I think it's like the 15th of the year uh, <laughs> thus far. Um, stomping grounds. So what we'll do is we'll just kind of break down the card and kind of look at the builds for each match and maybe hit some high points uh, of uh, the past two to three weeks of television and kind of do it like that. So I've got the card pulled up and we'll just kind of get this out of the way because most likely it's going to be on the pre-show. We've got a triple threat for the cruiserweight title, uh, Tony Nese versus Akira Tozawa and Buddy Murphy, who I thought was on SmackDown, but apparently not. Uh, I, don't, I don't know who's on what show anymore. It's, it's kind of confusing. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and I wish, while we're kind of briefly touching on that, I, I wish they would just <sighs> combine the shows or something or, or either stick to the brand split or not. I, I don't know. Um, I think either combine the shows or I would like to see unify some titles and let the champions be the wild cards. I think it was Lance Storm. I, I heard a, a thing he tweeted out or said on in an interview or something. He brought that up. And I think that would be interesting if just the champions were the wild cards. And like you said, unify the titles. Certainly the tag team titles. Uh I think you could still have the U.S. and the uh, Intercontinental and then have one world champion. Um, yeah, I think that would work out a lot better. I Kind of a throwback to the first brand split when it started. And, yeah. Uh, to me, it made the championship mean more, in a sense. You had two pools oh. of talent, like, challenging for it. and Oh, for sure. Um, so... Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna pick. I'm gonna pick Tony Nice to retain. Uh, so, uh, prediction from you on that match? Uh, I think we'll go with Nice too. Uh, he um, he just won the belt not too long ago at Mania. Um, I, I, I don't really watch Two Five Live continually. Same. I, see the, I see the clips and stuff, but that's about it. Um, it's good talent, but just. I don't have time for that. I don't. Uh, um, I kind of wish I, I missed the days of them having the match on Raw every now and then. But, um, but I'm going to go with uh, I'm sure it'll be a great match. The, their Mania match was pretty good. And you throw in Tazawa, too, who I missed for a while. And I thought he was still part, supposed to be part of Raw. So, again, yeah. that whole shakeup thing, I guess. And real quick, since we're just kind of hopping around here, you hit on a good point there. And, and we've touched on this before, you know, you don't have time for 205 Live. I don't, I don't either. When you sit back and you think there's three hours of Raw, two hours of SmackDown, they have main event, 
they have 205 Live. That's what, seven hours already uh, <laughs> of content per week. Um, when is, you know, too much, too much? I, I'm just wondering because as much as we try to stay positive here, there is a lot of negativity surrounding surrounding the brand uh, the, the brand being WWE in general and, and a lot of it has to do with the content is there too much content yeah, I, I don't know I, I see yes and no I mean there's yeah. too much in regards of you don't have time to watch it all there's no way anybody is going to be able to watch it all unless that you know they're getting paid to you know if, if that's their job that would be great yeah but uh, but also at the same time I guess it gives plenty of variety it opens doors for these guys to you know get their foot in the door you know yeah. and the ones on 205 live and the ones on uh, the, the two nxt brands and stuff like that you know and eventually maybe get moved up to the main roster and you know it, it gives a great talent pool to pull from but again you just can't watch it all no no and, and you know i like main event and uh 205 live being on the network and I honestly think if they're, you know, three hours of Raw sometimes is a chore to watch. Although this past week was pretty good. Uh, But I think perhaps maybe they could utilize the network more. Maybe have like the first hour of Raw on the network than the other two hours on USA. But hey, I get it. Advertisers selling ad revenue. I, I get all that. Um, but moving on, uh, we got Daniel Bryan and Rowan versus Heavy Machinery for the ta- SmackDown Tag Team Championships. This has just kind of been there. Um, I, I like the whole, uh, what was it, the Yolo County <laughs> tag title thing. That was interesting. Uh, I, I'll go ahead and say I don't think the belts are coming off Rowan and uh, Daniel Bryan anytime soon. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I do like Heavy Machinery. I feel like Otis could be I don't think he could be a a superstar that's going to be like a world champion but I definitely think he could be like another Rikishi level star. Yeah, Yeah, I can see that. Um, I think and, and, oh, well, and I, I was just going to say once that happens, I think Tucker is going to be like off in Ring of Honor Impact. I don't see him sticking around once once that team breaks up. So, yeah, I, I think this is one of the type of matches that uh, we were discussing. You know, the, the tag titles could be combined, and uh, this is a match that would benefit from that. Really, um, SmackDown's kind of lacking on tag teams right now. Uh, I don't know what happened. <laughs> um, both shows seem to be doing pretty good on tag teams, and then SmackDown ended up losing everybody. I think Big E got hurt from uh, New Day. And yeah. Kofi's title push, that knocked New, New Day out of the uh, tag title picture. And then um, they got the B team, but the B team's always been booked to be lovable losers, you know, so they're not really considered a uh, threat, really. And uh, so we kind of only have like two. Two, three tag teams on SmackDown. 
Yeah. Um, and, and while we're on the topic of tag teams, I'm digging what they're doing with the Revival. I don't know if they are doing all they can to keep those guys from going to AEW and, and keep them signed because the last I've heard, they are still like going to be gone around April next year. Um, they, they haven't signed new contracts. So here's what's going to be funny is if it's another Dean Ambrose, a.k.a. now John Moxley, where they attempt to keep these guys, give them a big push, and then they still leave, and then AEW benefits in the end. True, they come in hot for AEW just right off the bat. Because Moxley was just, you know, primetime TV each and every week up until the moment he left. And I think that's what made his debut so impactful. Um, it was almost like uh, Lex Luger-esque in some ways um, whenever Luger showed up on Nitro. But I digress. Uh, I am digging what they're doing with the Revival. And I think it's a long time coming for them to get a solid main roster spot like that. True. Very, very talented tag team uh Easily makes you think of some of the old school stuff. Um, as far as the, the contracts and stuff, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I've heard a lot of, you know, this person wants to go to AEW, this person wants out, this person. Uh, one of the people that I'd heard was pretty vocal. And as far as I know, they didn't really use them that much after getting them was uh, Mike and Maria Canellis. Yeah. And I heard reports earlier this week that they've re-signed. So it kind of makes Which me is- wonder if some of this uh, – you know, so and so's unhappy stuff is just kind of internet drummed up stuff. You know, to it, it could be, it could be. Um, it's interesting, though. <laughs> because, but to to play a little bit of devil's advocate, there, I would have bet money that all the Dean Ambrose stuff was a work too, and he was going to resign. It seemed kind of well. The fact that they mentioned it like months ahead of time, I, exactly. Like <laughs> that never happens. So I'm wondering if they will go that route again. So that, I don't know. Uh, but back uh, to stomping grounds. Moving on, we've got a newly healthy Big E and Xavier Woods versus Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. Uh, this this should be a solid bout. Now I like the thought of this one. Though. It actually flows into it after the KO and Kofi feud. It kind of gives the other two something to do. Um, yeah. They've been working like six mans and stuff like that in some form or fashion uh, the past week. So I, I think it should be a solid match. I think uh, I'm going to go with Owens and Zane here. Um, probably some kind of cheap, cheap win to, to kind of keep that a little steam behind this little mini feud. Uh, what say you? Oh. Again, I'm going to agree with you on that one. Because um, I think it's just kind of get rolling with them. You got to have something for Biggie and Woods to do while Kofi's tied up with Dolph. Um, we're going into the cage match for them, but I, I kind of think we'll get a little more ground on them as well. So I, I, I think it'll keep going. Um, moving on, Becky Lynch and Lacey Evans. This has been an interesting build, and and I like Lacey Evans. I didn't think I would. She's solid in the ring. 
it seems like she's growing more comfortable in her role. Um, but I don't think they're going to take the title off Becky this quick. I could be wrong. I'm going to pick Becky. Um, because to me, this seems kind of like uh, something to get Lacey Evans a little more over, kind of a stopgap feud until SummerSlam. So, I don't know. I, I'm picking Becky. I, I don't know. These, these two, the build's been pretty good. Uh, the it has. The this week was really good. Um, I like both of them, but I'm kind of getting to the point where I'm a little bit tired to see them against each other, you know? Yeah. Like, I kind of want to, like, maybe this to be the finish and move on to something else. I Actually, as I was glancing at the card earlier, I was thinking I would honestly be more interested in the matches for this show if it was Becky and Alexa against each other oh, and Bailey and Lacey. It just, in my you, mind, that looks better. Get out of my head right now. Because <laughs> that was literally going to be my next point. Like, I really think... Alexa, since we're kind of transitioning to that match as well, um, we'll just bring that up. I, I, apparently, Alexa Bliss is healthy. I'm lukewarm on what they're doing with her and Nikki because I feel like it's another Nia Jax thing. Um, I, I want—I actually want face Alexa Bliss. I, I think she could do really good in like an underdog role. Um, but I, I think there could be money in her and Alexa Bliss. They could talk people into buildings. Uh, both of them are wonderful on the mic. And, and they could save that for SummerSlam. You never know. That that feels like a good SummerSlam match. Um, but as far as Bailey and Alexa go, I'm gonna, I want to pick Bailey. Nikki Cross, I'm sure, is going to get involved somehow. I'm not sure how. Maybe she'll inadvertently cost Alexa the match. So, we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, what's your prediction? Oh, I'm thinking just that. I think somehow Nikki's going to play a factor in the finish. I, I don't really see either women's title switching hands uh, with Alexa being a raw talent. I know there are wild card things going on, but... Um, I, I kind of, I, I don't know, I just don't see the belt switching on either of those. I think Bailey's going to walk out with her belt. Becky's going to keep hers. And uh, then, like I said, hopefully the next couple nights on Raw and SmackDown, we'll start in building a new feud for each one of them. But I'm sure the aftermath is going to play into whatever Alexa and Nikki stories. I think that's probably going to be the outcome story and more than the match itself. Can't disagree. Ah. Uh... Then, uh, moving on to the match that I'm actually most excited about on the card, Ricochet and Samoa Joe. Um, I think if these guys get 15 minutes, this could be a hell of a match. Um, I'm going to go ahead and, and say I'm, I'm picking Ricochet. I think he needs some momentum because since him and Aleister Black split up, He's kind of lost his way. And I mean, both him and Black come in like a ball of fire. And I'm kind of missing that tag team now. <laughs> I never <laughs> thought I would say that. 
but it was so odd that it worked um kind of come out of nowhere and now that it's gone it's like what is what's going on where are they yeah yeah they and like i said they both kind of kind of lost their way a little bit so i'm picking ricochet i think i think we could see rollins and joe for SummerSlam. um I think that could be a money match. And I, I think Ricochet could do could do well with the with the US title. I think there's several guys who could who could feud with him, Cesaro and Ricochet for the US title. Yeah. I, I will take that for sure. True. They've been tearing I, I just, it up for the past few weeks. Yeah. I just think Joe give him a world title reign come on like <laughs> everybody wants it he, he's more than earned it so uh, what, what say you on this match I think I'm going to go with Joe on this one um, mm. it's going to be a good match uh, Joe really worked well when he's well like him and Ray you know when, when he's got somebody he, he comes across as a bully you know yeah. as a heel yeah. and it works when he's got a smaller that can kind of play the uh, underdog role with him you know um, but I, I think Joe's going to keep the belt on this one. I I don't really know why I'm leaning toward that, but uh, but I think it'll be a good match, and I think it'll help elevate Ricochet even more. Oh, for sure, for sure. Um, and who knows? We could wind up seeing a triple threat with uh, Joe Ricochet and uh, Mysterio when he comes back. Because I've I've honestly not heard how long he's going to be out. Uh, it could be a long time. I'm not sure. Yeah, I've not heard anything on the extent of his injury. So, moving on with the card. We've got Reigns and McIntyre. I mean, Roman Reigns, I guess. Like, I I hate to sound so unenthusiastic, but these two... I'm a little disappointed because these two should have... This should have been a better feud. Um, yeah, they're they're two absolute hosses, and to, to steal a term from Jr. Uh, and it's it's just kind of been there, and and I don't know as we've talked about before if they are purposely like keeping Roman Reigns like off the side. Or let's not give this guy too much screen tra- screen time before they ultimately pull the trigger and put the title back on him. I don't know, but it's kind of weird so uh, yeah, I don't have a lot for this one um, I was excited for the two at Mania um, yeah. it was fresh at that time uh, it's kind of it's another one where I'm kind of tired of just seeing them in the ring together you know I want to break them apart for a little while yeah I think they kind of get lost in the Shane McMahon Drew McIntyre Elias shuffle thing that's going on and it's yeah. kind of weakened the feud I guess and here's what there's been a lot of people on on various podcasts and Reddit and the internet and the whole universe, if you will, that uh, is kind of down on the screen time that Shane McMahon is getting. I'm not going to say that I'm entirely for it, but I wish they would just go ahead and pull the trigger fully. And give us this stable that is forming. <laughs> True. 
we got McIntyre, we got Elias, we got the Revival. If you want to throw Corbin in there, fine. If not, and then you've got Shane McMahon who has power, who can book the like. I would be all for that. That would be tremendous because you've already got the tag titles. You could throw another, an intercontinental, a U.S., what have you, in there. I would be for that in a heartbeat. But I hate the idea of them tiptoeing around and just just pull the trigger and do it. Uh, and, and I think it would come off a lot better. Give them a, I don't call the whole stable the best in the world. I don't know. Um so it's kind of, kind of where they're, they're tipped around, as you said, and it's I don't know, it's, it's just not having the same effect as it would if they actually officially become stables. Yeah, and and we've been missing a stable like that for quite a while, quite a while. Um, the only thing we got now is uh, the undisputed era. Really, yeah, you had the Wyatt family, you had the Shield, and the New Day. And, and all three of those are good, solid, but I don't know. I, I, a good heel stable with an authority figure, I think, could do wonders across the board. Especially if they're just bound and determined to give Shane this much airtime, which it seems they are. Um, so moving on. Oh, well, we got, while we're talking about Drew, uh, did you see the segment okay. with him and Heath Slater from this week? I really dug I, that. Awesome. <laughs> that. That was very effective, and uh, I got a legitimate chuckle out of uh, the revival picking up the cash as they headed back into the locker. That room. was hilarious. That That's was... actually one of my points I had wrote down to, to make sure I mentioned them and the, picked up the money. Uh, which yeah. kind, of, kind of throws it in there that they are. I mean, they're great in the ring as a serious team, but I mean, they can do comedy too. And uh, I mean, the stuff with the Usos was a little in, but. Uh, I don't want to sleep on the Revival's comedy factor. I mean, they're funny. They're serious. They're great in the ring. You know, they got it all. They need to hold on to them. And going back to the stable thing, I mean, you could have your four guys, McIntyre, Elias, the Revival, against, you know, the Miz, Roman, the Usos, that's three programs right there. And you could kind of intertwine them, but I mean, like I said, it, it feels like they've just kind of tiptoed around it and not really f- fully pulled the trigger. And I feel like if something had been established, it would have had a little bit more oomph to everything, but be that as it may. Uh, we got Kofi and Dolph in a steel cage. And... Going with uh, the theme, it seems. I don't see the title switching here either. I think I think they'll have a solid match, but I'm just kind of to, to steal your analogy. I'm, I'm tired of seeing these two in the ring together. <laughs> <laughs> see, I'm on the other fence uh, with those two. Uh, I'm actually on the mindset of I would love to see like a best of seven, which would be a totally against what you were thinking. But uh, uh, well. Uh, but I, I don't know. I'm, I like the promos they've been cutting. Um, I, I love Ziggler uh, doing the super kick on Woods, where he was like kind of tied up in the ropes this past week. That was kind of neat in my eyes. Um, 
But I, I, Kofi's keeping the belt, in my opinion. I don't see him going with Dolph. Poor Dolph. <laughs> that sounds like his whole whole run is I don't see him going with Dolph, you know? And uh, there's rumors that eventually Shane is going to be the world champion. Uh, <laughs> that's where, kind of hopping back to that for a second, it, that's, there's rumors that that's where this whole Shane McMahon thing is heading is that he's eventually going to win the title and it's been rumored it's going to be against Kofi. So, uh, eh, I, I don't know how I feel about that. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know that. <laughs> it, I think the better route to go would just to finally break up, to, to finally break up the new day and uh, let Big E turn heel and kind of have Xavier in the middle there um, trying to figure out what side to, to pick. I, I think there's a lot of money there. Yeah, that it's got to happen someday. Um, yeah, I'm thinking either I'd, I'd like to either see that route or I'd like to see Brock cash in on Kofi using the whole Rollins things as a red hand and then he cashes in on Kofi. And, you know, Seth isn't going to beat Brock, so... <laughs> or not Seth, uh, Shane's not going to beat Brock. No, no. Um, and, finally, well, I'll use that as a segue, because he could potentially be the special ref in this match of uh, Seth Rollins and Baron Corbin. There's been a big thing about who's going to be the special ref. Uh and obviously it's all signs of pointing to Brock in fact what if here's something while we're just touching on this match what if Brock is the special ref after the match cashes in and counts the one two three himself ah true true no so hmm. that would just be hilarious on so many levels because I'm sure people would just hate it but I, I would probably get a chuckle out of it uh, just to see Brock counting three and yeah the, just the whole visual um, but well, what's your thoughts on this repeat from the Super Showdown card because uh, I, I figured this one will main event uh, main event the show so, what's your thoughts on Rollins and Corbin? Um, I think Rollins is going over. Um, yeah. He's keeping the belt. Corbin's not getting the belt. Uh, um, I did like Corbin left him laying on Raw after Seth had, like, beat everybody in the building with a chair. I, I did kind of like that. You know, I kind of give Corbin a little bit of legitimacy going into the match. Um, but, yeah, I, I think Seth's coming out with this one. And then we might get the Brock Cash in at the end. I, or at least a tease story, you know. He might you know, back yeah. off and save it for later. Honestly, what I'm thinking, what I'm thinking, to kind of go on with, with, with the thought of Brock using this as red hair and cashing in on Kofi, is what I would like to see is Drew beating Roman and leading into Seth and Drew at SummerSlam. Now, that could be a money match. Uh, I would I would dig that. Because I want the belt on Drew. Because... <laughs> It's, Drew is should be. I mean, it, it should be that 
he looks like a world champion. He sounds like a world champion. I mean, I don't know why they is it Braun Strowman-itis? Are they just afraid to pull the trigger? I, I don't know. Um, so now that we've covered stomping grounds, what uh, have you got any other notes from the past couple weeks that uh, you want to touch on? I mean, obviously, Firefly Funhouse, that, that's the big one. Uh, where do you think this is going? Because we've got to see him debut, right? It's got to happen sometime. The funny thing is, I'm, I'm hoping when even once he debuts on the weeks that they don't have really anything for him to do in the ring, that we keep getting Firefly's Funhouse segments. I'll kind of be sad if they'll stop. <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you think he debuts tonight or they save it for Raw? Um, that's a tough one. Um, I'd say we go wrong. And the follow-up question is, who the heck is he going to feud with? Like, is it just going to be some random, or is it going to be Aleister Black, or which I know that would be SmackDown, but... See, I just don't know how they can transition it. It just... <laughs> exactly. And maybe that's why they've not done anything yet. Maybe... They're kind of like, how do we get this from this to this, you know? And that should be, I don't know, w- without sounding too negative, there, there's also been a lot of, you know, people bashing the creative team and, and even former wrestlers and people who used to work there saying it's a week-to-week thing without even long-term planning. To me, it seems like Bray has this character fully mapped out, like... And from what I've heard, this is like a majority of what we're seeing is Bray. Just him almost having full creative control for the most part. So I'm wondering, like, how do they not have the forethought to plan something for something this unique? It could be a situation, too, where the person that they're planning on him debuting against might be kind of tied up at the moment with somebody else. I just looking at her list, I couldn't really think of who that'd be, but uh, just we're gonna use um, we're gonna use Roman as a example. He's the first name I saw. Yeah, you know maybe he's tied up in this feud, so they don't want to jump the gun too soon. That's done. And I, with all this, there's there's four people, four people I could see. Uh, I could see the two world champions. I, I could see him debuting against them, either one. If he debuts and attacks Kofi, he's automatic heel. I'm not sure if he debuts and attacks Rollins, if he won't get a huge pop. <laughs> and the other two people, you just brought him up as Roman. I think that could be a very... That that could definitely lead into SummerSlam and have some legs, and then Alistair Black, as we've discussed before, those weird promos. Will somebody come in? And then obviously you have the thing of all you have to do is let me in from Gray. Maybe reading to. Whoa. <laughs> Sorry, a little severe weather coming through. Weather radio just had to change. <laughs> I, I wasn't sure if that was Big Papa Pump uh, <laughs> coming into your house there. So, 
Oh. Maybe you won the prize. I think it may have signaled that you were right. It said. Yeah. <laughs> but um, no, I, 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 those four I could I could definitely see it because if you have them debut against uh, someone like Ricochet, not not to badmouth Ricochet because I I do think highly of him, but if you have them debut against him or someone kind of not up there I, I think the Firefly Funhouse build up will just be a bomb sure. uh, so anything else from the the past few weeks uh, the only other thing I've got maybe to touch on is uh, Truth still rocking that 24-7 title being comedy gold uh, boy is he ever <laughs> he is uh, I, that, that's just great like yeah, that, that's all you can say. Is it, it's great. I, I was really kind of so-so on the idea, but you know what? I'm I'm all for our truth being like six times, seven times, eight times, however many times they want him to be the twenty-four-seven champion because he's he's uh, turning chicken crap into chicken salad at this point. Um, so. Uh, something that I read over the past couple of days that I wanted to get your thoughts on is apparently Vince has issued the uh, to Raw and SmackDown that there will be no more wrestling during commercial breaks. <laughs> so I think this is weird, <laughs> especially for the live crowd. True. Uh, so, so, what's your thoughts on that? Because, I mean, we've both been to, you know, live shows, and it keeps the live audience entertained. So, how do you think this is going to play out? Well, I, I, from what I've heard the past, uh, well, this past week on Raw and SmackDown, they used the uh, two out of three falls matches as a way of doing that. And um, I, I guess if you did the break right after the fall, you can kind of do something with the people out there to entertain the live crowd and just start the match back up after the break. It's going to seem yeah. kind of weird. Um, I'm sure, surely not, in, they're not going to be in a match and just be like, oh, hold on, guys. We're on commercial. And just stand there. <laughs> like like at a football game, there's always a guy that has a, a red cap that always runs onto the field during your commercial. <laughs> so are they going to have a guy as Cole going to put on a red cap and run off on the stage like we're in commercial? <laughs> so I, it's commercial time, yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's, I think it's a curious decision. Um, I, I get it, but I don't get it. It's, I, I don't know. I, I guess I won't know how it plays out until the next Raw or SmackDown I go to. Uh, because I, I, <laughs> They're already having a hard enough time at times keeping the live crowd engaged. You know they're going to be bored and restless for the two to for two to three minute intervals, however long the commercial breaks are. So true. I don't know how they're going to work this out. Yeah, we shall see. So I think that catches us up for what we've missed over the past couple weeks. Uh, now. We get to dive into 1997 and the two biggest shows of the year from each 
WCW and WWF. So, I guess we can go in chronological order, and we'll start with Mania 13, since it occurred in March. Was it March? Uh, 20... 27? I think so. Uh, no, 23rd. Uh, okay. So, I know you have several notes for the show. I'll let you start and um, or actually we'll just kind of we'll run through the card as it occurred and uh, just kind of touch on each match. We've uh, we've got a four-way that opened up the show. Four-way tag team match with the Headbangers, the New Blackjacks, uh, Furnace and LaFawn versus the God Ones. This is classic 1997, just a mishmash of gimmicks and uh, and styles. So, uh, what what do you think of this one? Uh, well, my main thoughts on this one, um, as you said, very gimmicky. Um, that would, it, I guess, it kind of shows the start of '97 into the end of '97 because very gimmicky like Federation, uh, New Generation type stuff going on at the start of the year. Um, my main takeaways, uh, Furnace and fawn. I forgot how good they were. Yeah. Uh, great in the ring. I guess they, they didn't really have a lot of uh, charisma, a lot of personality or something, because they never nothing ever caught on as far as interviews, but uh, in the ring they could more than get it done. And another thing I took away from this was the Blackjacks. Um I wasn't interested in them at all at the time. But during watching the match and stuff with Ben Bradshaw and Ben Wyndham, two guys that individually were good, you know. Yeah. I think if they were anything but the Blackjacks, if they were just Bradshaw and Wyndham, without yeah. the uh, dyed hair and mustache gimmick going on, or maybe it was the time period, you know. But I think these guys could have been a huge tag team at, at maybe at a different time or if they weren't pushing the Blackjack gimmick or whatever it was. Yeah. Um. Oh, I agree that that immediately jumped out. Is you have two two awesome guys in uh, Bradshaw and Wyndham, and yeah, I, I agree. You hit the nail on the head. If it, if they weren't trying to be the new Black Jacks and pushing that so hard, I, I think it could have worked. Just two rough and tumble guys from Texas. You know, maybe Barry Wyndham taking Bradshaw under his wing, something along those lines. I, I think it could have certainly got over and I think they could have uh, transitioned on into the edgier attitude era with that team and eventually split them up but you know be that as it may Uh, moving on we have The Rock or in this case Rocky Maivia versus The Sultan and it you know I, I thought it was it was kind of there, so. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've got nothing on this one. Um, it was, yeah, it was there. That's that's about it. Um, after that, what, I kind of was confused about why Iron Sheik and Bob Backlund were both with the Sultan. Yeah, I don't remember why. I because technically, I, I was. Wasn't they supposed to? Didn't they supposed to hate each other? Yeah, I think at one time they did. <laughs> <laughs> 
so I'm I'm not sure. I don't remember back because I wanted the same thing, like what was going on there. Um, <laughs> next up, we've got Triple H, still rocking the full name of Hunter Hearst Hemsley, taking on Gold Dust. This was uh, this was a decent match. I, I enjoyed this one, um, but it. It was probably a little bit long, uh, but I, I thought it's I thought it served its purpose. So yeah, it's a pretty good match between the two. And cool seeing China ragdoll Marlena near the end of it. And I had for I kept thinking I kept thinking the whole time I'm watching this I'm like I think I think that's when this happens. Like because for whatever reason before I watched this I thought it happened on a raw. But then I seen it, and I was like, okay, because the visual is still iconic. Uh, but I, for whatever reason, before I watched this, I kept placing that moment on a raw. Um, next up, we've got a lot of good talent in the ring at once. Owen Hart and the British Bulldog versus Mankind and Vader for the WWF Tag Team Championship. So, what's your thoughts on this one? Oh, like you said, a lot of talent in the ring. Love all four guys. Um, I was confused. Uh, I don't remember the build of this match and why we had heels versus heels. I know a lot of the story was, uh, I think, building on Owen and Bulldogs, kind of having a little dissension between each other. So, I think, actually, maybe Bulldog was playing the only face in the ring. Yeah. It wasn't a full face, but, you know, he was closest to the face that we got out of all four of them. Um, I don't really remember how this match got set up, honestly. Uh, same here. And, and we're, we're actually going to... Good question. Uh, we're actually going to skip the next match and save it for last. Um, and we'll go to the Legion of Doom and Ahmed Johnson versus the Nation of Domination. This this was fun. It, I, it, it wasn't the best match, but it, it was fun. It made me miss, you know, we, we were talking about stables a minute ago. It made me miss the whole, uh, the, the gang warfare, the, all the factions and stables of the Attitude Era. Because it gave it gave mid card guys something to do that actually popped out and made you notice. Um, but uh, what what was your thoughts? I'm uh, pretty cool. Um, not a you know, not a lot of ring technician work going on. You know, just hit everybody with everything, including the kitchen sink was brought out in this one. I think. Um, yeah, yeah. I watched this about a week ago. Um, there's somewhere in there, Ahmed does some kind of crazy dive. I don't remember where it is yeah. in there. And I forgot he did stuff like that. <laughs> he was a really talented guy. Well, let me rephrase that. <laughs> well, let, me, let me back up. I'm not, I'm not going to say he was really talented. He had potential and showed moments of being a really talented guy. Um... But I, I don't know if he, he was a little unsafe at times. But uh, 
I, I see why Vince was infatuated with because he did have a good look. True. I still don't understand the pads all over his body. That, that was a little <laughs> odd. But, uh, finally, in the main event, although it probably shouldn't have been in hindsight, uh, we've got Psycho Sid versus The Undertaker. And, I mean, it's... I, I don't fully remember why Taker... I do remember him wearing the old school gray gloves and stuff. I, I don't remember why he did that because wasn't he wearing what wasn't he wearing like the black, just all black at this point? Yeah, we had moved past the gray and the purple. We was into the straight full black taker by then. I I don't really know if a reason was fully given other than just a nod, maybe to the it had been so long since the he had won the belt the first time, maybe or something like that. I, I thought it. I'd actually, I remembered it, but just watching it, I thought it looked cool. <laughs> um, it, I mean, this match was what it was. Uh, Sid isn't the best big man ever, in my opinion, not even in the discussion. Um, that, that's just my opinion. Uh, Taker, on the other hand, is. I think he got what he could out of this match. Um, Sid's at his best. When he's working with a, well, like a Sean or a Sting or somebody like that. Yep. A guy really good in the ring. And, I mean, Sid looks like a monster. Um, he does. Sid's one of those that he looks the part. He may not be the best in ring, but, I mean, you're not going to find anybody who's more intimidating than that man. He, Sid was, he was scary. <laughs> but in comparison to the year prior, I think the Nash-Taker match from Mania 12 was much better than this. Yeah. Um but it, yeah, it, it, it was what it was. Uh, what was Vince's call? Uh, dark days are upon us or something like that. I, I can't remember the the exact call after Taker won the title, but it was classic Vince. Uh, and I thought that I'd actually forgotten about that until watching it. Um, good, good call there. But uh, now we cover what probably should have been the main event. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one of, in my opinion, the best Mania match in history. And it's probably in my top two or three matches, favorite matches of all time. I, I on occasion just watch this match just like some people watch Friends. Like, I'll just throw it on and watch random parts so this was no problem to go back and watch this uh i mean i don't even know where we start so i'll just let you you know kick it off with this so uh sean uh, sean uh, <laughs> brett versus austin uh it was supposed to be brett versus sean but uh brett versus austin ken shamrock special referee all-time classics. Yeah, I'll, I'll let you kick off with your notes, and I, I will chime in. So, but as, as much as I'm a Sean fan, I'm kind of glad that it turned out not being Sean and Austin, or Sean and Brett, because it turned out great with Brett and Austin. Um, there's one thing in this match. It, it, it's a weird thing for it to stand out to me. Uh, but there's a point in this match where they're fighting outside the ring, and Brett walks over and grabs the ring belt. 
and he sits on the side of the ring. And I think he grabs a chair after that. And then they just keep fighting, and they just have this awesome match, this brawl and everything. And you forget about that ring bell. Yeah. Yeah. You, you do. But it comes back into play later. And if, you know, once you watch the match again and over and over, you know, you go back and you notice him putting the ring bell there, and you're like, oh, that's how that got there. And uh, yeah. I don't know that that humored me because, uh, I mean, you'll see a lot of guys in matches nowadays, they'll, like, they'll set up a table. And then they'll get interrupted and they'll come back later to that table. But you know they're coming back to that table. You know? Yeah. It, it, and that's, man, as, as we've talked about before, Brett, the, to me, obviously he's he's one of my top two or three all-time favorites. I, a lot of times, the best there is, the best there was, the best there ever will be. I don't think that was so much a catchphrase or a gimmick. It's, in some cases, it was true. And, and storytelling and little nuances – Goodness gracious, he was he was phenomenal, and, and that's a terrific point. That it was just so subtle and, and just so masterfully done um, that, that, like you said, you did forget about it, and then oh, you know. So, um, like that played out great. This whole match, this whole match, just just felt real. Uh, the from the announcing. To especially the action in and out of the ring, I mean it. It, it feels like a real fight, um, and the obviously the double turn was so well executed, and the, the seeds, the seeds were planted along the way, and we will get into that in, in future shows, but. Well, the the seeds were planted along the way for Brett's heel turn. Um, I mean, I, I honestly I don't know what else to say about this match. It's this and the Hell in a Cell with Foley and Taker when my wife and I first started dating, and we were I was kind of telling her I was a big wrestling fan, this that and the other. I actually showed her, she kind of, it was something along the lines of, well, why do you like it? Or, or something like that. Yeah. Those two matches were the two that I showed her. And she was a little, I think, grossed out by uh, Austin's blood. But I think she got it because those two matches hooked her. I mean, it, it, it just, she, she was legitimately interested in both and, uh, too great. I, I would, yeah, I, I would show anybody this Brett and Austin match, and I, I would honestly, the storytelling in that match, the double turn, even Shamrock, how well did he play his part? Um, I'd actually forgotten. Well, I hadn't forgotten, but little things jump out to me each time, and I mean. I was watching Shamrock throughout the whole thing, and I mean, he just played his role to a T. Um, but I would put this match up against a lot of, I'm trying to think of the wording here, a lot of uh, some of the best TV episodes in terms of storytelling and execution, uh, popular TV shows, some, some of their best episodes. 
because to me it was that good it told a a whole cohesive story within the span of about what 25 to 30 minutes Um, you really didn't need to know the backstory you got it from the word go you got it and they told the whole story just beautiful just simply beautiful and it to me it just a piece of art that that whole match is, is certainly a piece of art um any any final thoughts on mania 13 as a as a whole show uh well um like i said great storytelling there and uh i, I did kind of notice after the after i watched the match i went all the way back to the start of the match and i kind of got watching the entrances and uh, it's it's interesting brett comes out and you know he, he, he's getting a few boos because you know he's been doing that whole you know i got screwed over thing for a little bit you know and yeah uh, so, you know, he's getting a few boos, but more so cheers, you know. And then yeah. Austin comes out, and Austin's getting a few cheers, but more so he's still getting booed. And it's so awesome by, that they can tell this story, and by the end of it, it's flip-flop, you know. And you don't oh, yes. you don't really, I mean, you're seeing the story, and you're, they're telling the story, but, I mean, you can't go in, well, we know now, because we've seen it, but, you know, it, you can't go into that thinking. You know that it's going to flip flop and everything's going to be different at the end of it, but they do it so well and it does. Um, I think really what really solidified it too to get the crowd behind Austin was uh, the breaking of the sharpshooter. Yeah, he didn't fully get it broke where Brett didn't have it on him, but he he was able to push Brett over and kind of broke it. And you know the the crowd was cheering for him to break it, so by that point they were already swayed. And um, of course Brett got it back on. Austin passes out. Brett doesn't want to break the hold, you know. Uh, it's just, it's great. Yes, yes. And as as a whole, um, I, I think I texted you this earlier in the week or, mm-hmm. that Mania Thirteen isn't really considered one of the best Manias, but I think as a just as a pay per view, if like if it was an in your house, or it would have been a pretty good show. I just don't, yeah. don't think it quite lives up to WrestleMania standards, you know. And honestly. <sighs> If it wasn't for the Brett Austin match, I'm, I'm not sure how fondly it would be remembered. True. So True. I think that but, match. Saved it. Oh, certainly. Um, and I, I kind of feel the same way. It uh, yet again, I, I would almost venture to say that Mania 12 overall was probably a better show uh and I, I i say that because there was a lot of things from mania 12 mainly sean and brett they were supposed to have another match there, there was some things from mania 12 that was supposed to carry over uh, and that's why i keep referencing backwards instead of forwards to the next year when we got the ultimate crowning of the austin era um but so that's uh, that's WWF's biggest show of the year. Now we fast forward to December 28th, 1997. And in my opinion, to this day, the best, the best buildup, the best storyline in wrestling. Uh, Hogan and Hogan and Sting for the title year and a half build NWO full steam this was 
arguably this was the peak of WCW, this show. Um, but before we get into it, I mean, was there anything you had forgotten or or anything about this show? Or Well, this show, actually, it's kind of funny because uh, these two shows share a lot in the fact that I'd, I'd forgotten some of the undercard. Yeah. Uh, Mania, I remembered more than uh, Starcade. Like Mania, you know, I'd, the Austin Brett, Sid Taker, all that, that. That was still there. But this show, I, honestly, just right off the top of my head, all I could remember was uh, Sting Hogan. And Bischoff Zabisco. Like a, yes. the rest of the undercard was a blur to me until I watched the show. Um Yeah, I it was a little bit fresher on my mind because there was a recent episode of um there was a there was a recent episode of eighty three weeks with Eric Bischoff where he talked about this and it was a little bit fresher on my mind, but still, I, I'd kind of forgotten. So we open up with Eddie Guerrero and Dean Malenko, and I mean, what more can you say? It's two all-time greats. Uh, I thought it, this this was a heck of an opening match. About fifteen minutes of a uh, solid wrestling. Great match. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I there, there's not a. I think these two could literally just have. They could have had a three to four star match in their sleep. Um, so then there's a lot of weird stuff going on with Scott Hall and. And, and Randy Savage and B- Bischoff touched on this on uh, on his show and I mean it was just kind of strange um, and I'll go ahead and say this before while we're going through this show there was a lot of odd choices as far as who was booked on this show and who wasn't uh, Rey Mysterio was sitting in the stands I'm not sure that was another odd thing. Like, I know they're trying to paint this picture of, you know, NWO versus WCW. I get that. But, like, the wrestlers just sitting in the stands. I get, I, I get it. They were pulling for WCW. But it, it was a somewhat odd look. Yeah, I, I thought so as well. I, I was thinking along the lines of, you know, if, if they're working for the company anyways, they're probably going to be there. So yeah. It's not like they had to buy the tickets to sit in the crowd. Now, the legends. You know, I could understand maybe them sitting there wanting to see what plays out. Yeah. But like Mysterio and um, I think we saw um, Outright and Harlem. Yeah. All these guys work for the yeah. company. They, they're probably backstage anyway. So, I don't know. Uh, we got Savage, Scott Norton, Vincent uh, with Miss Elizabeth. And I'm just going to say it. Uh 90s Elizabeth Trump's late 80s Miss Elizabeth. I forgot how gorgeous this woman was. Uh, but um, then they're facing Ray Trailer, aka the big boss man and the Steiners. It it, it is what it is. It was it was just kind of there. Um, yeah, I'll be honest, I, I missed this match 
I was doing laundry at the time. Laundry had to be switched over, and uh, by the time I come back, it was over. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I, I got no way. I don't blame you for doing laundry during that match, <laughs> and I probably wouldn't blame you for doing laundry during this next match, which was Goldberg versus Steve McMichael. Um, yet again, it was kind of there. Uh, this match made me remember that and the recent Super Showdown fully emphasized this fact that as good as well let me rephrase that as over as Goldberg was he wasn't the best nor safest worker (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so yeah it's I don't know. And, and Steve McMichael, he actually was decent. Uh, he, he wasn't, you know, a, a five-star match classic guy, but the guy could talk. And then he was he was okay during his time. So, uh, anything, do you have anything on this match? Uh, what, was this Goldberg's first pay-per-view? <sighs> May have been. For some reason, I was thinking, because I know McMichael's was his first, uh, like, feud. Yeah. So I'm thinking this was his first match, and it was it kind of humored me because I had just watched the uh, match from uh, the Super Showdown, like yeah. right before this. So it was kind of humoring me because I was watching what like Goldberg's first pay per view and what probably will be Goldberg's last pay per view in the exact same day. <laughs> yeah. So that kind of humored sure. me a little bit. Uh, then we have uh, Benoit, Chris Benoit, and Saturn. And these two are two tremendous workers, but I don't know. This was, as uh, Pat Patterson would say, a lot of gaga going on in this match. Um, I'd actually, like you said earlier, I, I'd actually forgotten about this match. Uh, so, uh, any any thoughts on this one? Uh, not a lot on this one. Um, um, my first thought was uh, the flock is actually kind of what I thought the Wyatt family was going to end up being. Um, yeah. You know, bring, like brainwashing people, bringing them in and stuff. But it, it, they didn't really get there. Um, I, I like both guys. Um, Saturn, my, I've liked Saturn since his ECW days as the Eliminators. That was my favorite time period for Saturn. Oh, yeah. Benoit, if I'm allowed to say this, is uh, he's, he's been one of my favorites. You know, at that time period, he was my favorite guy in WCW. And yeah. uh, regardless of what happened, I, I'm, I'm not going to discredit that he was great in the ring. And, uh, For sure. You know, I'm not going to get into the the whatever happened, you know. Um, right. But, uh, but I loved his work in the ring, and, and they were both pretty good. But I'm like you, this, it seemed a little messy, I guess, because of the flock stuff being involved. Um, then we get Buff Bagwell and Lex Luger, and I'll be honest, this match seemed like it dragged <laughs> forever. Fuck. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I hate to, to just be negative or whatever, but I'm, I'm watching this and I had forgotten how much Buff Bagwell always knew where the camera was. <laughs> And and that I legitimately 
chuckled a couple times because I'm like, this guy just, he, he legitimately, he always knew where the camera was and was not afraid just to say something. And I, I don't know, I, I wonder how much of that was planned and how much of that was just going into business for himself. Uh, but yeah, these two, it, it wasn't a terrible match. I mean, it probably should have been about five minutes shorter, five yeah. to something like that. It it kind of got draggy. Um, uh, any any other thoughts? Well, it's kind of funny you mentioned about this match dragging because uh, when I was watching it, I I got a little bored. You know, it was kind of dragging on. I was like, they're not really doing anything. And at the at that exact moment, they were working a headlock. Yeah. And I was like, well, let me let me just fast forward just a little bit. So I on the network, you know, I, I fast forward just a little bit and I hit the play button. And when the feet caught back up and started back up, we were working another headlock. Yeah. After yeah. fast forward, what probably like two two minutes, we were right back into a different headlock, and it seemed seamless. It, it's like they just switched to another camera. So. <laughs> oh, um. Next up, we got probably what I think is is the best match on the show. Uh, Kurt Henning and DDP. Um, DDP, I forgot. He was kind of like uh, Bob Orton Jr. with the with, with the, the cast on his arm where DDP had the uh, tape on his ribs. Because I, I don't remember when that started, but I know he had the tape on his ribs forever. <laughs> Uh, at least he didn't work the, you know, hitting people with it, you know. Orton would do, use it as a weapon. I'd hate to see DDP, like, belly bumping people or something. Trying to, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but th- this was this was a good match. Uh, from And I forgot how over DDP was. Uh, when, when, he, when he won, the pop was massive. Uh, well, it, it was the biggest pop of the night thus far, for sure. Um, and yeah, it it sold the diamond cutter as a as a devastating move for sure. Uh, what what say you on this match? Uh, well, this was one of those matches I'd completely forgot about, and uh, mm-hmm. when it come up on the screen and stuff, I I, I was excited. I like both guys, uh, Kurt Henning. You know he's 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 a great guy to uh, sell for other people. You know he's yep. he's the Shawn Michaels of his era. You know and uh, uh, Page, uh, I was a pretty big fan of Page at the time too. And they delivered. It was a great match, great hidden gem that I'd forgot about, and really saved the pay per view for me. Really after Luger and Buff and uh, Goldberg and McMichaels. <laughs> yeah. Um. Next up, we've got. Eric Bischoff versus Larry Sabisco uh, feuding over control of the AWA. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> they, uh, what show are we watching here? Wait a minute. I know, right? Um, and they've got Bret Hart. They they signed him off the huge Montreal screw job, which I'm sure we'll probably cover eventually. Uh, it, it's been said before. I mean, it, they kind of they kind of bumbled Bret Hart for the for the most part in WCW. Um, I thought this was this was fun for what it was. 
uh, I, I'm an Eric Bischoff guy. I love me some Eric Bischoff. He, uh, I thought, I think he plays a uh, a cowardly heel very well. I, I, I thought this was fun for what it was. Uh, what what say you? I, did, I, I didn't really have much for this one. Uh, <laughs> I, I didn't. Uh, I'm not really. I've never been a Zabisco fan for some reason. It never clicked yeah. with me. And Bischoff, I don't mind him on promos, but I don't care about him in the ring. It, he just didn't, you know. So I watched it, but I don't know. That's about as far as it went. I did like the uh, the, the steel plate shooting out into the crowd yeah. when, when uh, yeah. I kicked uh, Zabisco. Yeah. I don't know if anything ever happened with that. I don't know if it hit anybody or it becomes a souvenir <laughs> for somebody. Or uh, one of the t- one of the two, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> Probably um, on eBay at some point. Yeah. So we have up next the match. The the if you know the the match that sold this building out. I think there was like nineteen or twenty thousand people there. Huge crowd. Hollywood Hogan versus Sting. And first off, I love Sting's entrance, the music, the I, I liked this music much better than I did his WWE music. Um, I, I thought the, the entrance was was awesome. Uh, just the stoic look, everything. Um, and as Bruce Pritchard says, then the bell rang. Uh, <laughs> so I just go ahead and say this: there, there's Everybody talks about the finish. Was it Hogan telling Nick Patrick something that it's supposed to be a fast count? All this. Uh, it was bumbled uh, for sure. I, I thought the match itself was, was pretty good. Uh, they had the crowd from the get-go. I, I don't see what putting Sting over clean would have hurt, but... Apparently, according to Bischoff, I don't know, he, he didn't look ready for this match. Uh, but what what say you on this one? Um, the build-up was amazing. I mean, there's not anybody that didn't want to see Sting and Hogan that year. Mm-hmm. Um, but as he as you mentioned, then uh, the bell rang. Um, it, it was an all right match. I think it was a little Hogan-heavy. Yeah. Um, he definitely come out looking the aggressor, I guess. Uh, um, I, I actually, I was, I've got a book that I got. Um, my friend Will, he got me interested in this set of books. Uh, th- this particular one's called Titan Screwed. I don't know if you read it by James Dixon. I, I haven't. Uh, this one's Titan Screwed. There's two more before it: uh, Titan Sinking and Titan Shattered. It's uh, one of them follows us, uh, WWE in '95. One of them's '96. One of them's '97. And they, you know, they've got WCW and WWE stuff in there, and and it kind of talks about the finish. I don't know if it's it's probably the same stuff covered on Bischoff's show. Um, yeah. It says you know like Sting showed up at the arena, uh, looking a little bit out of shape and pale, yeah. and uh, Bischoff or Hogan pulled Bischoff aside and didn't want to do the job for him. <laughs> so. Um, and Hogan had creative control, so I guess he could have completely vetoed it. So Bischoff come up with the uh, fast count ending, and um, to kind of appease Hogan, so that way 
he didn't get beat clean and everything. And apparently, Hogan told Patrick to make sure it wasn't a fast count. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, that's as far as I know. Uh, Patrick, from what I hear, said, um, you know, he thought Hogan had already discussed it with Bischoff, so that's why he went along with it. But I don't know. It the, the ending was kind of a mess, but getting to that ending was pretty good. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and, and that and that's the big thing about Hogan. You either like the guy, you don't like the guy because of things like this. Because it is rumor and innuendo. You don't know if he really did do that or maybe Sting is to blame. Maybe Hogan was in the right saying, look, brother, I don't think this guy's in the right state of mind I don't feel comfortable putting it over who knows um, I just I think go, go ahead okay. I always try to take any of that uh, backstage insider info stuff uh, and you know listen to it but don't take any of the heart because there's two sides to every story and you don't know which which story's out there you know uh, precisely I and some people point back at this as being, you know, one of the key moments that uh, spelled the end for WCW because they couldn't get this tremendous build. They couldn't just put Sting over clean. And uh, they had a strong 1998. Honestly, you wouldn't mind covering some 1998 material on down the line because there was some good stuff then. But I think. My main point, I don't mean to sound like a broken record. At the end of the day, Sting should have went over clean. If Hogan wanted to get his heat back, he could have cheated to win the belt back, something along those lines. But this was the moment that WCW was supposed to win. They were supposed to be riding high. Sting was the savior. What was wrong with that? Um, So I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I agree. It it should have been a clean pin for Sting or clean victory whether it's the Scorpion Deathlock or a pin or whatever it should have been clean for Sting to, to get that momentum going oh for sure for sure uh, so now that we've covered both shows what uh, what was the better show yeah <laughs> Neither one were, was crazy strong. I, I'm gonna while you're thinking, I'm gonna go with Starcade because to me, and, and the Chicago crowd is a great crowd. I feel like there was more of a buzz all night with the Starcade crowd. I I don't know. To, to me, Starcade felt bigger. If that makes any sense, and and I don't know, it it still came off as like a huge deal, despite some of the matches, despite the botched ending, it it still came off as as big time. True, so, true. I'm I'm gonna go with Mania 13, but only because like as a whole, the only match I kind of got bored with was Rocky and Sultan. Yeah. Where Starcade, I kind of lost out on the uh, 
the Luger buff, and then the six man that I I don't even have wrote in my notes for some reason probably because I was doing laundry. So uh, <laughs> I'm going with Mania 13 only because of that. I think as a just a sit down and watch show, I enjoyed it more. Fair enough. I mean, I I, I don't think there's a wrong answer either way there. Um, so. Now that we've covered that, we've kind of touched on our 97 material. Uh, we'll give the listeners a little peek. This was your idea, and I'm certainly all for it. Uh, we touched on Brett and his heel turn in 97 and, and the seeds. So I think next week we're, we're going to take a look and kind of dissect some of the key moments Uh leading up to and, and after that and just kind of the <clears throat> kind of the whole the whole heel run there for Brett yep. yeah uh, so certainly some of his best best work in his career so uh, you had a little segment uh, you wanted to kind of introduce and I'll let you take over uh take over with it because I, I think it's uh, a great idea alrighty uh, well first off I've got the dates for those uh, at least the first couple of Brett moments um, we watched WrestleMania 13 uh, I want to go back and check out the March 17th Raw or at least the last uh, segment uh, Brett had a cage match with Sid and yep. he led into a very interesting eye catching uh, aftermath Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll cover it in detail so I don't want to say too much uh, then after that Mania 13 happens which you know again you know we want to we want to watch the main segment there for Raw if you want to watch the whole show feel free but that's we're focused on that main segment uh, Mania 13 we just watched it but I'm, I'm probably going to watch the match again leading through this because I think it'll tell the story perfectly um, oh yeah the next one will be the March 24th uh, Raw which was the night after Mania. Uh, Brett cut, cut a great promo. Again, I don't want to get into it too much. It's not really a spoiler because, you know, it's 1997. We've probably all seen it, but we'll, we'll get into the details with it next week or next uh, episode. Um, then the, the definitely want to touch on Raw from March 31st also. Uh, we, can, we can keep on going if we want, but I definitely want to touch on those, those specific key points there as Brett's slowly transitioned into his heel turn. Um, but moving on from that, uh, I thought it'd be kind of neat to take a look at the, uh, maybe a history in wrestling type thing for today. Um, I did a little research. I, I'm sure there's more happened than what I've got wrote down. Um, this is just from a list of stuff I've got recorded somewhere. <laughs> uh, let's see. Now, we're recording this on uh, June 23rd, so it might, it might be different whenever whoever's listening to it, but for June 23rd. Uh, back in 1994, we had Sting and Flair at the Clash of Champions, 27. Uh, mm. Didn't get a chance to watch this before the podcast, so I don't know the outcome of that one. A um, little fuzzy. I mean, they wrestled quite a few times in WCW, so I can't pinpoint which one that one was. A um, couple years later, again, June 23rd, Stone Cold Steve Austin becomes King of the Ring. Pretty big moment. Oh, in, indeed. The... Uh... The start of selling uh, a crap ton of t-shirts. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, we move over to the next year, 1997. That's that's our big year. Apparently, that was the night that uh, Paul Bear informed 
the Undertaker and all of us that Kane is alive. Another big moment. Oh, oh. kind of cool. Kind of cool. I mean, um, ended up being a great storyline. Again, part of the reason I love '97. Mm-hmm. Um, we fast forward a few years after that one to 2002. Brock Lesnar becomes King Ring. Nice. Had no idea okay. that Austin was on the same day. Right. And then my last one here is from 2003, June 23rd, 2003. Uh, Mick Foley has presented the hardcore title in the ring for all his uh, efforts and all of his uh, contributions to WWE. And then gets thrown down the stairs by Randy Orton. Um, <laughs> of course, that leads to the backlash match the next year. So that, you know, that, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And also, at the end of that night, Kane unmasked. So another big moment for Kane happening on the exact same day. That's those are some uh, pretty impactful moments there on uh, June twenty third. Um, I I like it. I dig it. Uh, well, I guess closing uh, closing things out. Uh, do we have have anything else we want to add? Oh, other than you know, check us out on Twitter and Facebook, Positively PCW. Um, that's about all I've got. Same here. Uh, hopefully it won't be this long in between episode. Uh, this is three and episode four. But uh, we shall see everyone next time, whenever that will be. And everybody take care and see you next week. Stay positive, guys. See you.